the scale doesn't lie. Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System and broadcast from St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I'm Stephen Clark. Younger Americans weigh more than ever before. In fact, more than half of America's youngest adults, those between the ages of 18 to 25, are overweight or obese. According to a new Johns Hopkins study published this week in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association. The percentage of overweight young adults rose from about 18% in the late 1970s to nearly 24% by 2018. And the pandemic hasn't been kind to our children either. Since early 2020, the average child aged five to 11 has gained more than five pounds. Before the pandemic, about 36% of five to 11 year olds were overweight or obese. That's now 46%. The borough in New York City with the highest obesity rate? No surprise, it's the Bronx. With us today to discuss this is Dr. Guido Machiavello, Director of Ambulatory Medicine at SBH Health System. Welcome, Dr. Machiavello. Thank you for having me, Steve. So let's start out, doctor. Are you surprised by these findings? I'm not surprised by these findings. It's something that, you know, it's disappointing that we have been seeing this growth we have not been able, and, and, I, and by we, I, I, I'm talking about the health systems in general, all throughout the United States, of, of preventing this continuous rising of a metabolic condition, in this case, obesity. We have not been able to, to make a significant impact on reducing the rate, or, or in a way, make the, the rate stagnant. So we have seen it increase. Uh, over and over the years, basically we've we've seen it rising without us being able to do a significant change. No surprise, I'm I'm disappointed. Why do you think young people are gaining weight? Is there any reason behind it? Is it is it uh, fast food? Is it lack of access to healthy food? Bigger portion sizes? All of the above? Well, there has been different literature about significant or different approaches on trying to understand what happened. Seems that misinformation is number one. Misinformation in, in terms of what to do, consequences about being obese in short term, long term. And uh, this has created a lot of confusion, especially among young adults or emerging adults, as this study talks about. And misinformation is, as I point out again, has been uh, led by these fashion diets, right? Things that are not sustainable uh, as a change uh, or as a significant sustainable lifestyle change, right? We just do this for two weeks, three weeks, six weeks, three months, maximum and and it's definitely not sustainable so that creates more confusion more disappointment we have a different amount of information being fed to us about different products as well and we are always looking to get effects of these changes or using these products in the short term which are very unrealistic in terms of goal as a provider of health and as a patient. 
I agree with that uh, with that literature that was showing that why is the main culprit about this is is the misinformation. So what do you tell patients when you have a patient that comes into your office, whether they're in 18 to 25 or they're older or whatever, and they are obese? What do you tell them? Well, it's not a conversation that, uh, or at least the goal that I have for my patients is in, in terms of approach is not something that I have in, in just one visit. As any other medical problem that is chronic, I recognize this as such. And therefore, the treatment choices are discussed with the patient. The first step is always diagnosing, right? So I discuss with my patient what I find when I am evaluating them. One of the evaluations that we make every single day is the body mass index. Bringing back to the starting point of our conversation is that uh, this latest study shows that more than half of the American population in this age group has or is suffering from this condition. So we start having the conversation by addressing the BMI, the body mass index, as part of their evaluation. And what does that mean for me? What does it mean for the patient? And we start talking about what we need to do for treatment. The treatment is not, in a way, doesn't have a, a, a cookie cutter design. We have to be very patient-centered. We have to be open to deal with frustration because we have to always find the root cause analysis of what has led the patient to come to where they're standing right now. So I'm going back. As any other chronic medical condition, we have to be very open and having a, a non-judgmental point of view on, on terms of approach. I myself have had my, or, or still in, in a way, suffer for, uh, problems derived from over, overweight and, and obesity. My experience as a patient is that I've had bariatric surgery twice, twice in my life. The first time that I ever had it was when I was a medical student uh, with a BMI of uh, 40. I basically, I was part of this age group. I was a, a young adult. And uh, as a patient, you always not paying attention, try to hide the reality of what you are suffering, even though that you can recognize that you're that your weight is not going on the right direction, that you are being trained or you are in training of, of being part of a health system and you're not making the right decision. So it is even more frustrating. It creates a lot of guilt and that you're not this example that you uh, or this role model that you want to become. And I have tried many, I have had tried different types of diets without being successful. And I had the opportunity to have bariatric surgery when I was very young. The first ones back in my home country, it was successful, needless to say, during the time that the success rate for that particular surgery had. So after 10 years, the weight came back because once again, what we were in dealing with 
is the root cause analysis of what my problem was. My relationship with food, my relationship with exercise, my relationship with sedentarism. Once you start addressing them, or you become going back to the type of treatment or the type of conversation that you want to have with your patient, you have to be very open to of sharing, right? So we can relate to one another and share our experiences of what works, what doesn't work. And also be knowledgeable of different treatments. So you can be able to, besides relate to, the, to what the patient is suffering, that you are able to provide some relief of their problem. Treatment for obesity. As, as I mentioned before, I had surgery twice, right? So after the success rate that I had with the first one and the decline of the, uh, or I would say the rise in, in my weight that came back, what was expected after the studies, as I, as I mentioned, uh, I, I was very early in the experience for, uh, we didn't have enough data to conclude that how, what was the rate of, of success for this particular surgery. But when I was, Old enough, uh, after 20 years of having this, this surgery, this happened 20 years ago, we had, we had different data and it was evident that the surgery had the effects that was expected for, that I was expected to have from the surgery. But now it's time to reevaluate what was necessary to be done for me after I, I gained most of the way back However, uh, now, back 20 years ago, I was counting on, the, on my youth. So the, the success of my surgery was very fast. I didn't have any chronic medical conditions. I still don't uh, have any chronic medical conditions. And I don't expect to have any. Uh, however, uh, you never know. But I underwent to a second bariatric surgery, which for it happened two years ago, and I still see significant positive results from it. My body has changed. I am able to move better, to exercise more. I don't have shortness of breath. I am able to enjoy more or my life. I can I can share with everybody that you know my journey my experience has been like this and therefore I feel happy I'm still it's a work in progress it's something that I'm going back to the sustainability of it right lifestyle modifications added to any treatment is necessary is super super but, but I guess yeah not to interrupt you Dr Machiavelli but I, I would assume as you mentioned earlier, it's not a cookie cutter approach. It's a different recommendation for different people. So while one patient you may recommend, you know what, maybe it's time to consider bariatric surgery like it worked for you, maybe others is through lifestyle change or modification or you know putting them on a, an exercise and eating regimen or something like that, right? 100%, we don't. 
I think I skipped that part of, of my journey. Definitely diet uh, and exercise are part of any healthy weight loss uh, treatment. We have to make different choices. And I think I, I want to, to, to use that as instead of using diet, right, healthier choices, uh, what we put in our body. Having um, when it comes to food, you have you gain more nutrients, or what you get your um, you get your nutrient nutrients in, in more more buck for your for your money. Is that the right uh, expression? Yeah. Right. So instead of having a bowl of cereal, which again is we can be misinformed. Oh, cereal is fantastic. is is a great way to start the day. But if you start reading the labels, they're just pure sugar. And if you add milk, you have a little bit of protein to the milk, and then you add fat, and then you add more sugar to a high sugar-contained food, then you're not making the right choice. Versus what you can do is let me have some um, reduced-fat Greek yogurt. Therefore, you don't have as much sugar. You don't have as much fat. Uh, Greek yogurt is high in protein, and then you add some blueberries as a sweetener, or strawberries. Berries, in general, are very good for, for maintaining a good glycemic control, uh, which is a control of your sugars. They have low glycemic index, and therefore they will not make your insulin peak. And therefore you get your more buck for your money. I mean, you're having a more nutrition breakfast in terms of a choice. You're getting your vitamins, you're getting your minerals from, from the fruits that uh, are fresh. And therefore the, the next choice for your lunch or even for your snack could be uh, a fresh vegetable that we have different selections. I, the other part of, of understanding our patient is how they make their choices. If we can make any modification to, to those choices, we have to address that our, most of our patients here in the Bronx don't have access to healthier lifestyles. They don't have access to exercise. We are not very good at keeping our parks available all year long. Weather permitting, yes, we don't have the best park systems here in, in New York City. So even if you would like to go and exercise in a public park, not really feasible most of the time. Uh, then uh, food access is also you, our patients suffer from limitations. Um, what they believe is is the nutrition. We confuse something of nutritional value to being full, right? I'm satisfied. I'm full. I have eaten. But being satisfied, being full, doesn't mean that you have made a good choice because the the foods that you have put inside your body they were not the best. Yes, they they can make you fulfilled, and but it is a uh, is something that uh, we are not getting anything from. We could have or we could make better choices uh, when it comes to. Let me put it in, 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 in another example. When we eat, let's say a hamburger. 
the same size that you will get in um, fast food uh, chain restaurant. We know that that hamburger has gone through different processes of being frost. They have gone under freezing, the frosting. They are not fresh. They have been treated with chemicals. Those chemicals are not adding anything beneficial to your body. As opposed to you can make your own burger with uh, high fiber uh, bread, some fresh lettuce, some fresh tomato, and you have access to ground beef that you can put some, um, some sazon, right? Whatever you choose, the garlic, fresh onion, whatever you choose, not a lot of salt, you know? Because that's when we get confused. Oh, adding salt versus adding salt. You know, it's just a pinch is enough. And then we grill it and uh, we eat it. In terms of size, it's the same. But with fresher choices, you have more bulk for your money with minerals and vitamins and, and, and what you're putting in. Do you spell out these choices to your patients? Do you say specifically, if you like a hamburger, do it this way, or I mean, it's, it doesn't seem to me like you're you're having a draconian diet where suddenly you're only eating, you know, kale and you know, select vegetables and fruit. It seems like you can still have a normal life, but just make some smart choices. One hundred percent. When we're talking about lifestyle modifications, and and again, we do not need to do this in a fast way. Right, we have to be prepared that this this road may take months, preferably a year or two years to be sustainable. When we're talking about lifestyle changes, and whether or not this includes medication, whether or not this includes surgery, whether or not this includes both, diet and exercise in any way has to be modified. I'm not saying that you need to go and run the next New York City Marathon, right? But we can start by walking one block, two blocks, develop your stamina, develop all these endorphins from moving, uh, feeling better. We were born to to move. Making those lifestyle changes, and they're very patient. They, has, they have to be patient-centered. If we don't address this in a patient-centered manner, if we're starting introducing foods that the patient is not familiar with the preparation, they're not familiar with the ingredients, they're not familiar of having the right access to it, or they don't even like the flavor, then you shouldn't be offering those particular elements into their diet. You shouldn't be making those suggestions even. So the first thing that we have to understand is how our patients are eating. What do they like to eat? How we can modify their eating habits within the patient-centered spectrum of care that we are breaching for our patients. It may not necessarily be the, the fastest interview with their patient, right? I'm not familiar, let's say, with uh, the preparation of Haitian food. As an institution, we have access to internet. So we can start Googling, what would you like to eat? What's the name of your dish? And then we look at the dish and what ingredients are there. And therefore, we can start playing in a way of, of, being, of using the word playing very liberal making those adjustments or those little changes. Most of the dishes that are cooked, if not all of them, can be modified in a healthier way. 
I guess you cannot modify the, uh, butter as an ingredient, but you can change butter as a as the ingredient that is part of a certain recipe. Let's say using, uh, and I'm not going to use the word butter if I'm if I'm interviewing a patient that I have that is from Southeast Asia will use ghee, right? Because I know that they like using ghee for their dishes, right? But this is not may not be the healthiest thing. Or let's say uh, a lot of our patients from other parts of uh, the world, I personally cannot handle spicy hot. I don't like chilies. But doesn't mean that I cannot tell or advise my patient not to use them. Because as a matter of fact, chilies are a very healthy lifestyle choice that our patients can make. They hardly have any calories. They're high in, uh, in elements that can sometimes be beneficial for uh, that can be beneficial for for the patients they have minerals especially if they're eating eaten fresh they have minerals they have uh, vitamins they have different chemicals that have been proven beneficial to our body so i cannot relate to the person to to my patients that love to eat chili but if they ask me can i eat chilies yes do not fry them <laughs> you can right. boil them you can bake them you can use them in all your parts of your cooking but instead of cooking oils and fats, let's just using them raw. Instead of using butter, why don't we have uh, avocado, right, with your toast? So you have the same creaminess, but avocado has vitamins and minerals. The message goes back also more bulk for your money in terms of fresh food, minerals, vitamins. Dr. Machiavelli, from what you're saying, I'm guessing that you, you know, you you probably referred some patients to the health and wellness center at the hospital where you have a teaching kitchen where they teach you how to eat healthy and tasty and affordably. And also you talk about lack of safe areas, parks and stuff with the Healthplex Fitness Center, which also provides classes in, in fitness and and also one-on-one -on -one instruction, that sort of thing too. So that must be something that you look favorably upon. Yes, as I mentioned in uh, earlier in our conversation, is I like to lead by example. I myself am part of the health and wellness. I like working out there. I train there, and I have been a student of our teaching teaching staff. Emily is extremely extremely knowledgeable of different choices not only on on uh, the little changes that our patients can make but also to the, the food access so needless to say is a very strong addition to the patient care leading by example is something that i find particularly useful when helping the patient okay i cannot say the patient you need to exercise when i don't i cannot tell our patients uh, you need to eat healthier while i'm having a candy bar right i think that you don't have to go through a life of deprivation absolutely not you can have your rewards right but try to make them more special right if you have a candy bar every day it doesn't longer feel special let's say but if you are rewarding yourself with a candy bar once a month, and you're making it a special event for yourself, that's your reward. That's what you have 
gain after all these little changes that have a positive outcome on yourself. Therefore, you can, um, you know, appreciate them more. Exercise and the gains that you get from it are undeniable. Also, it's important to say that our patients' access to us uh, using different communication tools that we have available for our patients is good to be offered, right? We have different elements where patients can communicate their lifestyle choices. For example, you can have your tracker on your phone, tracker on your watch. You can have, and I have this, this with one of my patients, right? He is a young adult in his 30s, and he communicates with me every other day by email, telling me how he's doing, how he's feeling, the weight that he's lost, right? How motivated he feels about exercising every day. And which I respond to, um, and it doesn't have to be a long email. It has to be perfect, congratulations, let me know, include me. We're making a team. You're not alone in this situation. You have encouraged me to work out there as well at the same time that you do. So you can see that I'm also sweating there, etc. So it's really, really rewarding when your patient's experience is relatable to, the, to you as a, as a care provider. And it also creates a lot of trust when, when they're seeing that you're using the same services that they have available for them. Do you think they respond to you because you've lived in their shoes? It's not a cookie cutter. I think that the response has to be a team effort, right? So you need to have the feedback from your from your patient, right? And not because they can relate to you or they cannot relate 100% with you doesn't mean that you have to become uh, stagnant with, with, the, with the care that you're giving them, right? So you start creating something else, something that fits them, their lifestyle, or something that fits the way that they relate to you even more. So then you try that. Uh, maybe they don't want to be writing emails or they don't have access to email, but I know that the information and technology is, is expanding every day and the trackers that you have on your phone can communicate with physicians. These can be shared at the time of the visit and they go on and, and discuss with you, hey, I have made these changes and I have not seen the improvement in my weight or in my body. Maybe they may not be evident in the beginning by drastic weight loss. And we're not looking for drastic anything, right? Because we're looking for sustainable changes. And I don't necessarily encourage that we see a weight loss of 40 pounds in one month. Absolutely not. I think that we need to set up goals that are achievable. And that's when it comes to also encouraging the patient that, okay, it may be not be evident in uh, when you weigh yourself, oh, I lost 10 pounds, but it's evident in, in, uh, your, uh, in your pant size that has changed, your clothes are, fit, are fitting better, or you get your blood drawn. That sugar, that hemoglobin A1C has dropped down. 
that cholesterol right. without medication has come down. Your liver function test, you don't have a fatty liver anymore. That's fantastic. Among other results that we can see without them, without them being evident to the eyes of the patient, and we, you use them as an extra tool to continue encouraging that behavior of change. Again, going back to there's no cookie cutter solution. Everything has to be patient centered. Everything has to be, um, these plans have to be developed according to what, what you do as a team, as a provider of health and your patient. And you have to try different, different routes. It's a journey that you have together. Yeah, let, let me ask you, we're running out of time here, but let me ask you one more question. Are, are you confident that we can change the course of seeing, you know, younger and younger generations continue to gain weight and be exposed to a number of different uh, chronic diseases? Are we starting to make changes? Can we make changes? We can make changes. And changes in the population start with, uh, with one subject, right? Because I also believe in our community, and our community is very powerful in the world of mouth, right? And it comes down to like, oh, patient A lost weight or is looking fantastic or their diabetes is under control because they did A, B, and C. Let me go to that doctor. Let me go to that facility right. so they can recommend me the same. Or maybe right. they can be something done for me. And therefore, patient A becomes patient A1, 2, to 10. And then those word of mouth will become 200 patients and etc. Because our community loves to share, right? Loves to share their experiences, love to share their successes. And you know that uh, that advertisement or what we can do for the patient, it starts with patient number one. And that word of mouth that we have in our community is super important. And we should foster that and be open to see what, what other alternatives and, and therefore develop different and, and more robust programs for the community in general. But yeah, definitely change begin with one person. Right, right. So I want to thank you, Dr. Machiavelli, for some time today. If, if somebody's listening to this podcast and is interested to make an appointment, is there a number they can call? Absolutely. The number that where we can be reached for an appointment is 718-960-3730. We have a great team of, of physicians that are ready to see patients and, and do their recommendations. We're part of a very robust training program with a strong community focus and that they are also participating in community improvement projects. So we're ready for you. And we're happy to take your new referrals, your new visits, and let us know what your struggles are, because we're very happy to, to see you and we will be very happy to be part of your success. Great. Well, you know, Dr. Machiavelli, thank you very much. For more information and services at SBH Health System, visit sbhny.org. Until next time.